Welcome to the Lady Palace Podcast. We are your hosts, Bella and Amanda. We're just a couple of gals who are on a mission to shake up the status quo around women's health. Come and delve into the depths with us as we start the conversations to empower, educate, create change and connect you back home into your lady house. Now it's up to every woman to know what's inside of the ovaries, the womb, every part of her vagina. They're different sizes, shapes and all colors. Life starts from a yoni straight from our mothers. Fertility. New creation and the taboo. Let's start a conversation. Your yoni is your homie, so lift her up higher. Ladies, say you're proud. I love my vagina. Woman, power, goddess, flower, lady, palace, click, click, boom. I'm a woman and my body is a temple, and my yoni is connected to my mental. All right, it's the Boom Tang Clan with Ballerina Amanda. Welcome to the Lady Palace podcast. We are so excited to announce this incredible guest who I personally have been a fan of for many years, Cindy O'Meara. She is a nutritionist, filmmaker of What's With Wheat, best-selling author, international and TEDx speaker, and founder of Changing Habits. I love Cindy's energy her incredible passion for her work and her commitment to changing how we consume and view food. So in this episode, we discuss why wheat is worsening our health and how, what glyphosate is and why everyone should really be avoiding it at all costs, how she approaches her local councils to try and stop the spraying of glyphosate and why we as individuals should do the same, This woman is real and speaks from her heart. We took so much away and are really excited to be able to share this conversation and Cindy's wealth of knowledge with our community. Cindy, thank you so much for joining us at the Lady Palace podcast. We are very grateful to have you on. I know myself, I've followed your journey and your work for some time now. And yeah, we're just incredibly lucky to be able to have you on to share your wisdom Um, so maybe for our listeners who haven't followed you or haven't really heard much about your work, are you able to kind of sum up how you got to where you are and a bit about your journey? Oh, how long do you want that to be? Because you know, (laughs) I just turned 59 today. Oh, happy birthday. birthday. Yeah, it's my birthday today. So it's a long journey, but I'll try and brief it down. So... You know, I was brought up in a household where my father believed that the body had an innate intelligence and given the right resources, um, it could be incredible. But the right resources had to be given to it and we had to take interference away. So I was kind of brought up in a hippie lifestyle, kind of, and I knew I wanted to do something with nutrition um, and or health. And so I went to the University of Colorado in Boulder and I studied pre-med. And while I was studying it, I had a, an elective that I did, which was anthropology. Well, that just blew my mind. I got so excited about food and, and human survival that I decided to be a dietitian. So I came home to Australia, studied at Deakin University. At the end of my degree, I thought, I don't agree with anything. It's got nothing to do with anthropology and everything to do with margarine and low fat and, and all this stuff that I 
didn't agree with. So I thought, as a 23-year-old, you don't think you can go against the grain per se. <laughs> so, yeah. So I went back to university for two years to do chiropractic. And after about two years and six years of uni, I went, I know exactly what the body needs, exactly what I learned in anthropology. I didn't need a nutrition degree for this. I didn't need a human anatomy degree for this. Um, but I, I just started practicing as a nutritionist, teaching people real foods. Mm-hmm. And that's all I've ever done. That's 40 years ago. I saw my university was probably before you two were born. Um, I started my university career in 79. So, 1979. Right. so yeah, and that's all I've taught. I don't teach anything else. Yeah, I love that. That's incredible. And I think your message as well that you've really honed in on um, through your documentary, What's With Weight, that I've watched that a couple of times now and that's been something that's resonated so deeply and I think it's so imperative to be able to spread that word. And like you said, it's going against the grain and there's a reason that this isn't common knowledge and that we don't learn about this in schools and things like that. Um, so yeah, thank you for bringing that forward. It's really sad because if I can take you back to my day when I was a nutritional consultant, so it was so easy back then people would come in, they didn't have the diseases they have today. Mm. Uh, they just needed to improve on their nutrition and by ta- taking them off the SAD diet, the standard Australian diet, and putting them on a real food diet, their whole outlook changed on their health. Their, they didn't have mental health problems. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the depression that I see today, the suicide rates that I'm seeing today. So for me, it was just about getting them on a real food journey. Fast forward to today. If I put somebody who's severely ill on a real food diet, I'll probably make them sick. Yes. And a real food diet being fruits, vegetables, nuts, seeds, meats, fish, grain, legume, you know, spices, herbs, because many of those foods that are in the real food diet now are seen as um, possible allergens, possible food sensitivities, um, causing autoimmune issues, chronic debilitating stomach problems, fructose malabsorption, Mm. uh, you know, you name it, food is now the enemy Mm. because of where we've come to today. And if we look back in 1962 at the Australian Bureau of Statistics, only 4% of the Australian population had a chronic disease. Now, Mm. fast forward to 2018, Australian Bureau of Statistics go between 38 and 40% of our kids from 17 and under have one or more chronic diseases. That's ridiculous. Isn't it? And then by the time you reach 65, we have approximately 80% of the population with a chronic disease. Which is such a ridiculous statistic, isn't it? And so with modern medicine now, like we're being, we're able to live a longer life and we can live to, you know, up to like 80, 90 years old, but it's about quality of life because we're not getting that quality. Yes, we might live longer, but we're actually living it sicker throughout those years. Um, well, the stats say that in the last 15 years of your life, so whether you live to 65 or 85, that last 15 years you will be disabled, debilitated, sick, in bed or in hospital. Isn't that awful? That's, that's the stats. That's yeah. incredible. So you young girls... Um, 
you know, like it's it's not fair. You know, it's like not. I watched um, Greta. Did you watch Greta when she did the um, speech to the United Nations or to the world leaders about food, uh, climate change? Yes. And she said, I shouldn't be here talking about this. I should be across the water in my school learning normal things. Yeah. But instead I'm here to tell you guys that you've screwed this We've up. So it's you girls telling me, my yeah. age group, you screwed it up. Yeah. You did something wrong and we did. We yeah. Like I just, and a lot of that has been through really sort of like the agricultural business, hasn't it? Um, through sort of farming principles and what we've actually done to the land through the use of pesticides, and you know, essentially now our food really is toxic. Mm. It's it's not only our food that's toxic. So the food that comes from the farm is toxic, but we've decimated our very ability to digest food properly. Mm. And then once it goes from the farm, even if it, it, like, so if you have fresh food, we even have a problem with it. But once it goes from the farm and goes to the food manufacturers, what are they doing? Mm. Yes. So, for instance, green peas, they dye them green. Because if you open a can of green peas, they'll be khaki. But they don't like, nobody likes a khaki green coloured pea. So they do a process. It's not an ingredient. Mm. It's a process. And they dye our peas green. Oh, it's just, it's exhausting that the food industry does this. Not only other, is agriculture a problem, but the food industry or mm. the chemicals that, you know, that they put in our food in the food industry and then put in a package or a tin um, is dubious. Yes. And I think that's now what we're seeing is the pairing of the food industry with the pharmaceutical industries and how they're, you know, best buds. Um, and that's something that in your documentary, Dr. Stephanie Seneff talks about, that yeah. it's not necessarily the issue with wheat specifically, it's what we've done to it and it's what we're adding into it. Um, and that brings us to glyphosate as well. And that's just astounding chemical, how that's added to wheat. Is it organic wheat as well? Well, um, it's not. Okay. They don't desiccate it with organic wheat, but you've got to realise that glyphosate is water-soluble. Mm. So it will go into the ground, into the water supply, then the water um, evaporates and goes into the clouds and then it rains. So there'll be some parts per billion or parts per million of glyphosate in rain. And I listened to a scientist the other day and he said two-thirds of the, the planet has been sprayed with glyphosate. That's what he says. Oh, my gosh. It's frightening. And, and like, I, I, I want to take you back in time just a bit because we haven't learned. So Monsanto is the maker of glyphosate, or they had the patent on it. They also um, were the maker of DDT. And DDT was a chemical that was sprayed for insect control. So, yes, it's a pesticide like glyphosate. Glyphosate's used for, her, for um, weeds, so it's a pest. Weeds are a pest. Um, but DDT was also a pesticide but for insects. And my mother um, was born in Iowa, USA, and in, the, in 1938, so she was born in 37, in 1938 there was a locust plague and they used arsenic of lead, so arsenic and lead, Mm -hmm. to spray 14 states of the U.S. to get rid of this locust plague. 
And then they realized it was a bit toxic, and so they came up with DDT. So they sprayed, and they said DDT was perfectly safe. My mum had the nits in her hair sprayed with DDT. Swimming pools were sprayed with DDT. Farmlands were sprayed with DDT. And then in 1960, Rachel Carson's book, Silent Spring, came out, which everybody should read. And basically Monsanto did a defamation case against her and absolutely slaughtered her um, her book and her, and she died. Probably a woman that had, didn't know what it was like that people could do that to you, mm-hmm. whereas in this day and age everybody on social media, <laughs> yeah, you know, has a voice whenever they want to. Yeah. So we used to it. Pick a skin. She wasn't. You know? mm-hmm. So DDT was banned as a result of its hormone disruption and all the stuff that it does mm-hmm. by 1974. So now we have glyphosate, this miracle chemical that doesn't affect human cells, that only affects plants and bacteria, and it's perfectly safe. Mm-hmm. And it's and still our farmers believe it's perfectly safe today. And so... In Australia, it's been sprayed since 1995 on GMO products or, or crops, um, in, and then it's been used more widely as um, something that is in, used in no-till farming. So mm. no-till farming means that they don't use a plough, they just use a chemical boom to destroy um, the end of a crop, uh, to desiccate a crop, to um, get rid of weeds before um, seeding the, the seeds to use on GMO foods, to use on cotton, um, GMO cotton. Um, mm. It's just it, it, our councils use it, our main roads use it, um, land care uses it. Oh, it's it's so roads. widely, it's used, widely it's used. used. everywhere. And yeah. look, it will be banned. Mm. I have no doubt about it. Because there's... Time. It might be like DDT 1960. We were getting warnings 1974 before it was banned. Um, well, there's some big court cases going on in the states at the moment, isn't there, mm-hmm. where they're collecting yeah. evidence about the use of glyphosate. Yeah, and all it is, the only thing that they're looking at is is cancer. Mm. So, in 2016, IARC, um, who is a regulatory body for cancer, said, "Oh, it's a probable carcinogen." So, um, and that started to spark things. But you know, like bacon's a probable carcinogen. Yeah. So there's lots of things that are probable carcinogens, but I do not want to denigrate the the reading of a, a 2A class carcinogen. Mm-hmm. So just above that, it is a, car, a carcinogen. So you've got that, 2A, 2B, probably not, does definitely not. So we're at the second one above. And I can choose not to eat bacon. Mm-hmm. I can choose... I'm not going to ever eat bacon again. If it's a probable carcinogen, I can choose that. I can't choose not to eat glyphosate because it's sprayed everywhere. I can't choose not to roll around in the grass that has glyphosate sprayed on it because there's no pink dye there to tell me that it's been sprayed. I can't choose to not put my grandchild um, on a playground that they're not telling me that glyphosate's been sprayed there or a dog in a dog park because they've not told me. So I have a choice about bacon. I don't have a choice about glyphosate. Yeah. And that's no. the sad thing. That's Unless I become educated. Yeah, exactly. And become an activist with my hip pocket money. Yes. Then I can make choices. 
and I can be powerful. Mm. And people like Monsanto and Bayer are scared of us mm. because we are educated and we know and we can pass the message on and we can live healthy lives without the need for um, chemically-laced food and then needing medication to make us better because we have an autoimmune disease, a food allergy, food sensitivity, heart disease, diabetes, type 1, whatever, mm. you know. We are all powerful. And I want your listeners to realise this, that this is not doom and gloom. This is about being powerful. Yes, yes. And I definitely think that this is the time now more than ever that we can vote with our dollars and when we put money into businesses that we support and like our local farmers, we are then creating for the future generations those legacy businesses to stand fast and the ones that don't, they will just fall by the wayside because we won't actually be able to consume products that they will keep producing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know something also, Cindy, that you work a lot with is your local councils. So yes. coming back to your activist, I love this. <laughs> the, oh, my gosh, they're driving me insane at the moment. Is they this the sunshine? They lie. They to me. Oh. That's they lie, you know, they, they tell me, yes, 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 we're doing this, Cindy, yes, yes, yes. And then I, I go swimming at my beach and I'm noticing the dunes two metres from where I swim, I was dying. And I'm like going, what, what, what is wrong with my dunes? So I ring my local council and I go, what are you spraying? And so then they ring me and they go, oh, glyphosate. And I just go, and then I have a chat to them, and it, it's a you know a girl that's in natural resources, and I said, why don't you use a contact herbicide? And she says, oh, it is a contact herbicide. And I went, no, it's not. It's mm. biochemical warfare at its best. Yes. It stops the shikimate pathway. Once it's on there, it's not contact. This is going into the plant, and it is causing unbelievable untold issues to that plant, to the soil, to the ecology of the soil, and to that woman who is meditating on it every day. I see her there every day. So, yes, I look, uh, I'm trying, um, but I feel like I'm on deaf ears sometimes. And and I, I just need more and more people to be trying to, you know, and that's yes. why I've created letters for people. Yes. Well, that's something that maybe perhaps we can add into our show notes because that's something that I would love. I mean, we're down in Melbourne and I, you know, I'm sure that they would spray all of our parks, all of our gardens, everything with, you know, glyphosate. So that would be something that, you know, I'm interested in to even approach our local councils and probably listeners once they've heard this as well, that's something that they can then, you know, actionable change that they can go out and create. Um, something else, Cindy, that you mentioned as well was the Shikimate pathway. I absolutely loved listening to this throughout your documentary. It's incredible. I had no idea that that was even within us. They say that it's something within plants, but, and bacteria. Um, but it's actually also within, within us. So maybe you can explain for our listeners what the Shikimate pathway is, how glyphosate can kind of disrupt this and cause harm to our health. So glyphosate has three patents. The first patent was in the 60s and it was a chelating agent. So it would go into tanks or pipes and it would remove the metal from the tanks and the pipes. 
then um, it, they noticed when the pipes emptied out with the water that anything that it touched would die in nature. So um, Monsanto bought the patent, and in 1974 it was introduced as Roundup, which was a herbicide. And they came out with, yes, it affects plants and bacteria, but it doesn't affect human cells. And how it affects it is it, it stops an enzyme by chelating manganese, so an important mineral, out of um, the system of the plants and the animal, as the plants and the bacteria, and therefore stopping the shikimate pathway. So the shikimate pathway is a pathway that is done by bacteria and um, plants where the input to the shikimate pathway is fructose, but the output to the shikimate pathway is tyrosine, tryptophan, and phenylalanine. So these are three aromatic amino acids that are in our plants because humans don't make them. And it's also produced by the bacteria in our gut. So what those three aromatic amino acids do is make noradrenaline, serotonin, dopamine. They are the neurotransmitters to help us think, feel, act, um, have happy thoughts, get us to sleep and do all those things. Shikimate pathway also produces folate. So folate is important in methylation. Methylation, and everybody will be hearing about methylation at the moment, so do we have a methylation problem or do we have a folate problem? So in 2009, in the wisdom of the SANS, Food Standards Australia New Zealand, they decided to put folic acid, a synthetic folate, into our food supply. It was mandatory in mm-hmm. our grains and in our breads. Mm-hmm. So I find that really interesting. You know, about nine mm-hmm. years on, we're starting to see the effects of an, a folic acid deficiency in the population. So the shikimate pathway produces folate. It also produces something called entero- enterobactin. Enterobactin carries iron in bacteria and plants. So I'm also noticing people with iron deficiencies everywhere. So that's another thing. Coenzyme Qs. So it produces coenzyme Qs. And I don't know if you noticed, but coenzyme Q10 is the new new supplement that everybody takes. It produces vitamin K. It's one of the – it also produces vitamin K. And it produces something called chorismate. Chorismate is something that is a precursor for many of the nutrients that our bacteria and plants make. So we have a fructose malabsorption problem in the human body because we have no bacteria in our gut that can take fructose, produce um, things from the shikimate pathway. So now we have fructose malabsorption and FODMATs. Mm. You know, and I look at, I look at glyphosate and I see it as the, the ground swelling um, issue that causes what we're seeing today. So, number one, we know that glyphosate opens the epithelial lining of the gut, which allows foods that are not digested to pass through to the blood system, which enhances the immune system to produce food sensitivities, food allergies, autoimmune disease, and goodness knows what else. So I kind of, I kind of see, um, and I'm not the only one that's seen Dr. Stephanie Seneff, Dr. Don Huber, mm-hmm. um, uh, moms across America, and their whole scientist, scientist Dr. Anthony Samsell. Um, I, I could keep going with doctors, but they're the only ones mm-hmm. that are coming to mind at the moment. 
And they're trying to tell people, this is what is at the bottom. So, you know, vaccinations are, are now being, you know, people are saying, oh, you know, all these things are happening with vaccination. But what's happening is that we're opening up the blood-brain barrier, epithelial lining. You inject something into a body, and let's say the adjuvant is aluminium, it goes through the blood-brain barrier into the brain. And, and this is what is being seen in cadavers of children with autism, so mm. babies that have died or children have died and have had autism, and scientists are now seeing the aluminium tangled in the neurons, not only in autism but in Alzheimer's. Wow. So yeah. look up Dr. Christopher Exley. He has been researching aluminium for 30 years and he has been researching autism and food sensitivity, oh, sorry, autism and Alzheimer's, and he's seeing this common thread and he's going, well, how is aluminium getting into the brain? So now he's tracking aluminium from what we eat, what's wow. absorbed um, through vaccines, from flu vaccines to any other vaccine that's there. Mm. So glyphosate opens that blood-brain barrier mm. and so then this then enhances what's happening to us because of vaccines, you know. And so now everybody's against vaccines because we're seeing what's happening. So many side so effects from that. So is vaccine causing the autism or is glyphosate opening the blood-brain barrier, then we're getting a vaccine, the aluminium, not the bug, the bug not the important part, but the aluminium that in, in so what does it do? It um, spurs on the immune system to make the, the um, ant, whatever they're putting into the vaccine, whether it's an attenuated virus or a bacteria. So that's what they're seeing now. So I, I'm not the only one saying this and I'm not the scientist. I'm just watching the scientists doing their research and getting their information. But you've also been doing a lot of research yourself as well in regards to especially to your documentary. And so you are well researched about all of this mm-hmm. and you are, you do have strong connections with the doctors in the States also too. <laughs> and I mean, the thing is, I guess we are seeing the common denominator really is glyphosate here, isn't it? And so through the consumption of food, it is then creating, like you said, the opening through the epithelial lining, which is then creating leaky gut. And then it's allowing you know, permeability into the blood-brain barrier. So, and it's a knock-on effect as well because, like you said, it then creates the inflammation and creating that um, those opening those channels to open and to see like your proteins and things to be able to go into your bloodstream. It's also then not just a gut issue; it then becomes like a neurological issue, and that's something that you touched on as well with when you said that you were experiencing joint pain and things like that. It can affect people in varying amounts, like through the gut. But then for some people, it can come up as joint pain or migraines and headaches. So it's not something that's just, you know, solely focused through the gut. It's, you know, we are a synergistic system. So we will have multiple, you know, adverse effects. So we're seeing this and it's awful that, you know, we're seeing this through children now as well. It's really, really terrifying to see. Well well summarised. Mm. Oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 You know, it, it, you succinctly talked about what's happening and, and and that's the angst that I have all the time. I just keep going, the farmers think it's safe. Um, 
it's in our food supply. It's, it's, it it's, is everywhere, but we do have control. I, I just want to make that really clear. Yeah, it's really, it's really interesting, control. right? So when... My, when our daughter was born, she fell sick and she ended up having pneumonia and it went to hemolytic uremic syndrome and she nearly passed away. And so as a result now, she has chronic kidney disease. And so we've been so stringent with her, with her diet, really no sugar, no wheat, no dairy, no gluten. And then anyway, this year, and so we've got all the blood work documented. And this year we started to get a little bit lax and we'd buy bread um, and then we'd let her have some wheat and we'd let her have a little bit of gluten. Well, anyway, within six months from her blood results, we went to see her kidney specialist and her kidney specialist said, your daughter's, um, she's got uh, chronic kidney disease. She's now in renal failure. And Garth and I said, no, there's one thing that we have changed and that is her diet. And we've let her have, we've let her have dairy. We've let her have wheat. I said, give us six months and we're going to cut those foods out. So anyway, we've been six weeks in and no wheat, no dairy, minimal amounts of processed sugar and um, her kidneys are back to functioning. So it's gone from, it's just absolutely phenomenal. And it's just to see, you know, the inflammation is the cause here. Um, and that, you know, that wheat was putting extra strain on her kidneys to be able to um, reduce that inflammation out of her system. So it's been, and you know, what's exciting is to see that we have the data and that food is so important of what we are consuming. Um, and we do really need to make, you know, smart choices to what we are putting in our mouths. That's- we do. And, and if you don't make smart choices, then you're going to, uh, there's, there's no doubt that you will be chronically ill. Yeah. 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 It, it's like you could have got away with it um, if you were born um, probably 40s you probably could have got away with this, um, but you can't now. No, no. You just cannot get away with it. So if you were born in the 40s and your gut was really working well and everything was working well and, and you, you know, we had bread. I was a 60s child. We had bread. We had, a, we had meat pies, chocolate eclairs, vanilla slices. Yeah. I ate everything. <laughs> no overweightness, no gluten problems, yes. no autoimmune diseases, nothing. Yes. But in this day and age, even... You know, even someone who has done the best for her body as a, you know, as I left home, I still had had to be so careful Mm. and I still have to be careful. I can't go and just eat lean cuisine, healthy choice of breakfast cereals. I'll I'll be a a bubbling mess on the floor, probably depressed, anxious, aches and pains and who knows what. (laughs) Yes, I know. No, (laughs) we definitely would not thrive on that at all. Um, maybe then, because I feel like we have, you know, gone through a lot of the issues and it does feel like a very doom and gloom, like you said, for our listeners, but especially for the young women, especially who are listening and, you know, are looking to really take back control of their health. If they've had issues with their health and especially with their cycles and things like that as well, which we are now seeing a lot of for their future generations and if they are the people in the household that are now, you know, taking control of the family's health and are going, right, we want to, you know, make these changes, mum and dad, because I feel like the younger generations are now really opening up to this. And like you said, we're in the information age. So 
at the touch of our fingertips. We can research, we can see what other people are saying about certain issues. So maybe as well then for those listeners, do you have some really great takeaways that they can then go listen to this and then go home and say, right, these are the top three things we need to start to implement. Ooh, <laughs> three things. I okay, like, you oh, can. Well, my book's got fifty habit changes in it. <laughs> yes. Like I, I like go. Oh no, you've got to do it all. You can't just do three. Do, okay, do as many as you like. We can go five, oh, ten. <laughs> you know what? I think number one, education. Yeah, yeah. I think that's number one. Is that we must educate ourselves and. Like I wrote my book back in 1998. This is before all this started happening. And it was just about the food industry. It was about the crappy breakfast cereals and the, the dairy industry and what they were doing to our milk. And that was they were pasteurizing, homogenizing it, skimming, trimming, revving, revving. They were doing everything to our milk. It was about the quality of the salt, the quality of the sugar, the quality of the flowers. It was a, it was about all of those things. So that's where I started my education with, with um, changing habits. Changing Lives, which is, you know, a book that I wrote, like I said, in the 90s. Yes, I've read um, that a few times. And then I, I, because that's how I educated, I talked about food. I didn't talk about agriculture as much, but I talked more about what happened after it, it got to our, our shelves. Um, and then I started an education program, what, about four or five years ago called the Nutrition Academy because I felt that if you wanted to be empowered – you needed to know more than just the book. So mm-hmm. I started a 12-month online course. And for me, that was about getting back to basics, back, back to the philosophy. So the philosophy is, is based on our anthropological principles, my anthropology. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did we eat? How did we survive without these chronic diseases? And um, what was our anthropological body yearning for in this modern day? And it was about getting back into the sunshine, going out into nature, um, turning that bloody television off, your yeah. Netflix, you know, turning all of that off and living your life the old-fashioned way. And that doesn't mean going back into a hillbilly farm. You can live in a city and still do this. So um, so I, I do it on principles of anthropological principles. And then the second part of it is in, on vitalism, the innate intelligence of the body, the innate mm-hmm. intelligence of food. Mm-hmm. Um, the light that hits our food, the light that hits our mitochondria, the importance of all of that. So the whole course is based on those two things. And then we look at the immune system and we look at all those things. So for me, young women, because that's who follow me more than men, you know, I've got a few men that, that follow me. Uh, sorry, I've got the computer on my um, knees and I just need to go from a cross-legged position to a straight position. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you can delete that one out. Um, so um, I just want more and more women, young girls, to start becoming educated and becoming powerhouses in their community. And if they're not prepared to do it in their community, they become powerhouses in their home. And going and seeking out where you buy food, what are the right questions to ask? Where do I get my meat, my fruits and vegetables, my nuts, my seeds, all of my food? How do I create a one-ingredient pantry? And when I say one-ingredient, that means lots of one-ingredient foods, not lots of 50-ingredient packaged, processed, chemical-laden foods. And then how do I get back into the kitchen? 
to feed and nourish my family, to heal this nation. Mm. Because that's the only way this is going to happen, is in the kitchen. We as women need to take back our power to feed our families, get back into that kitchen and know how to cook. Yes. You know, that's what I taught my kids. My kids all cook. Mm. You know, they're in their 30s now. They're about to get married and have babies. But, you know, they... Well, they can have babies first. I don't really care. I, I'm not fussed about what? this one. I just want grandchildren. <laughs> <laughs> Give me the babies. <laughs> oh, it is. It's finding oh, the joy yeah, in cooking good. again because I feel like now it's just uh, you've got your iPhone and you can just call up Uber Eats and people are becoming lazy. It's mm-hmm. just easier to make a phone call, get your food delivered, as opposed to really getting back into the kitchen, getting your hands dirty yeah. and cooking real food yeah. and food that's nutritious and wholesome because mm-hmm. there's so much prana and life force in food yes. and yes. rather than doing takeaway. Mm. Yep, exactly. And that's something that we talk about in Ayurveda. It's you know, the quality of food and it's the prana rich food, but it's how it's prepared and the energy that it's prepared in. And is it made with love or is it, you know, made with just kind of rush and get through and, you know, onto the next thing that like convenience kind of society that we're in, or is it. And the beautiful spices that you use. Yes. Yes. That can all do something to that food and to your body. Exactly. And they can help with, you know, assimilation of nutrients and for the gut to actually digest. They actually say in Ayurveda, we are not what we eat. We are what we digest. So it's also the, you know, do we sit around the dinner table and do we eat as a family or as a community? Because when you're digesting that food in a harmonious kind of setting, that's Mm -hmm. when it's actually really assimilated. Or are we sitting in front of blue light technology that's going to affect the way that we can actually assimilate our food and our nutrients? And Absolutely. it's a whole synergistic system. Yeah. You girls don't need me. <laughs> 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 you have a down pat. Like, this is what it's about. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And this to create what, that. This is, like, this is, you know. I'm reading the Earth Child series again. I read it when I was 20. Uh, do you know the Earth Child no. series? So, Clan of the Cave Bear, the Mammoth Hunters, Valley of the Horses, Plains of Passage, mm. Painted Caves. It's about traditions of how we survived. It was about the herbs we use. Like this author has created an amazing um, – uh, she's studied – what herbs we use for if they have a heart problem, you know, like the, and, and, and there's a reason why this little boy has a heart problem because he's half Neanderthal and half human. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, you know, the fox glove, she uses a fox glove. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I listen to it and I get such peace because I feel like we've lost that. We've lost our cultures. We've lost our traditions. We've lost our family life. We've lost our preparation, our food, our what we should be doing. Mm. Um, Instead, we do. We do. We we live this fast-paced life. We don't think about growing our own foods. We think that, oh, it's just a waste of time, you know. But to me, this is is what I believe that we're going to have to do. Yeah, definitely. And to be able to facilitate programs, I think in the future it's going to come back to schools and educating our children with programs around how to grow your own fruits and vegetables and 
herbs and spices in your backyard. And, you know, we don't have masses of land anymore that we used to. We might just have like, you know, small backyard, but to be able to create within that space a sustainable garden and to use soil that's rich in, you know, nutrients and minerals and those trace minerals and that we can create, you know, fresh, healthy foods and recipes from mm. from just our backyard. It doesn't have to be something that, you know, you always have to go down to your, you know, local, you know, fruits and veggies mm. um, markets and things like that. No. $75 for seedlings in February. Mm. My son and I planted them and we have been blessed with nonstop food. Like what are we in now, September? Mm-hmm. going into October and I have not had to buy not one herb, not one bit of greenery, no. not one onion, not one um, so I didn't do my root vegetables but pumpkin I've got um, carrots oh. and carrots and beetroot like oh. it's been like this 75 bucks That's it's insane. all it cost me and a day of my time Yes, and yeah. so we have a drip system I'll tell you what takes more time it's Picking it, sorting it, <laughs> yeah. just you know, just picking and sorting it. And I love that. I take, I've got a, a few kids that just love coming and playing with me on the farm, and I've got this three-year-old. He comes up with me, and we go pick all the veggies, and then we sort everything. And oh my gosh, it's so exciting! I love that. Oh, I love that. Oh, that's what it's about. And what do you tell you? I, I swim with a couple of, I swim with a lot of people, but I was walking back with this one guy this morning, and. Um, I was talking to him about me growing my own food and how big was my, my plot and everything like that. And he goes, how do you grow food without insects eating it? I was about to ask you that. <laughs> yeah. How do you grow food without insects? I said, well, it's a bit like you. If you're healthy and strong, then you don't get disease and you don't get eat, you don't get, I don't get bitten by sandflies and mosquitoes. Don't ask me why. I just don't know that, but I don't get bitten by it. But it, it, that's because I think I'm strong and I'm healthy and I do the best that I can to be healthy. Whereas, oh, and by the way, um, I'll come back to that one. So uh, I said to him, it's all about the soil. It's all about the strength of the soil, the health of the soil, and then the plants are healthy and strong and insects don't eat them. I don't ask, don't ask me why. They just don't eat them. The neighbours, they're being absolutely flogged. Not <laughs> me. <laughs> it's like a natural repellent the soil healthy soil creates a natural repellent it is it's a it's the strength of you is why you don't get sick Mm. and you don't get plagued by viruses and bacteria and Mm. you don't get eaten you can go with a group of people and someone will say i'm being eaten and you're going i'm not yeah yeah (laughs) they're not they're not getting me you know yeah um the other thing is um so I've obviously have been eaten by a mosquito because I used to give blood um, every quarter of the year. And I don't know how long ago it was, but a, a couple of years ago um, they took um, tests for malaria and I got a letter, two-page letter, saying I couldn't get blood anymore because I had malaria. And I went to the, the infectious diseases doctor and I just said, I haven't had malaria. How can I be told I have had malaria if I've never had malaria? And um, he said, well, you've obviously been bitten, got a parasite, defended it off without even a symptom, 
but now you have the antibodies for malaria. I went, okay, good. Go oh immune God, system. There we go. <laughs> How cool is that? that That's is insane. It is mm. insane. And I have this girlfriend who works in the Solomon Islands and his dengue fever is rife in the Solomon Islands. And she said to me, she came home and she went, you know your malaria story? And I said, yeah. She goes, well, I've seen dengue fever where they're almost on death's door or they've just got a touch of it. Mm. And so there's, you know, like, so this is the strength of the soil bacteria, the strength of your microbiome, what you feed yourself, what you feed your soil, how your plants survive, how they're not getting eaten by every locust plate that comes along, but they're, yeah. they're surviving. Yeah. I love that. I love nature. nature. Give it the right resources and stop interfering with it. Exactly. We will survive this. We will survive it well. Yeah. I'm about to go and um, go to India next year to go and do some more more studying. And that was a conversation that I was having with my naturopath with vaccinations. And, you know, with going to India, you have to get, I think it's like 10 or something. There's a lot that you need to get. And I'm going to be down south in Kerala where it's really lush and it is more of a wet kind of climate. Um, And that was one of the first things I said to my naturopath. We just had a really open conversation and I said, what other alternatives are there? And he just gave me a list of all the homeopathic vaccinations I can do and what to do in the lead up to it to strengthen my immune system and to start to create an environment in my body that is going to thrive and can best, you know, fight off anything if I do get something. But that's, I feel like, another conversation because we could go so (laughs) in-depth into that, um, the whole vaccination. So there's advised and there's compulsory. Yes, Mm. yes. I think he said there were two that I would have to get still. And what were they, do you remember? It was... um, Yellow fever? Yes, yellow fever. And the other one was... Um, maybe typhoid. Mm. I think it was. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he said they're the ones that you can't mess with. Um, but he said, you know, let's do all of the other things to then combat the side effects that you might get from them as well. So that was a really okay. nice conversation to have. I've just made the decision that if I have to have a vaccine, I don't go to the country. That's my decision. Mm. Yeah, Fair enough. I just, went, I just went, well, I'm not going. Yeah. yeah. So I want to go to Kenya. I would love to go to Tanzania, but um, you have to have yellow fever. That's a definite. So what I do is I go visit the countries that um, I don't need the vaccine for. And Zambia used to, used to have the vaccine for yellow fever. No longer. So I can now go into Zambia and I'm sure that it will continue to go north. So, um, and I, you know, I, I've not been to India and I don't know the vaccine schedule. So I, I'm just very wary about, Yeah, I, I'm wary because there's a, 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 um, a documentary called Michael's Not Well. Mm-hmm. And this is a BBC um, investigative reporter that's told to go to Tanzania or somewhere like that and needs yellow fever, has yellow fever. Mm-hmm. And has a psychotic episode 24 hours later. Oh, God. And for two years, he's a sick psychiatric patient. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not that you shouldn't have it, but you you need to be aware and they don't make you aware of it. No. no. So um, 
It's really mm. important that you understand the adverse effects as well as the benefits. Yes. With anything you do, you know, yes. it's really important that you know. So I just made the decision that I wasn't prepared to do that. Yeah. I wasn't prepared to be that one in whatever it is. So I just choose not to go to those countries and, and that's fine. Yes. You know, that's, and that's, that's your, what I have to do. That's your informed decision. When you know yeah. both sides of the story of the possibilities, yeah. then you can create a decision around that. Um, that's what we would probably like to see more of. Um, so Cindy, probably then I feel like we've chatted a lot of different things (laughs) and we've spoken about, um, a lot of things that we would like to see in the world. But I think to end off with this conversation, the question that we always love to ask is if you could wake up tomorrow and see the world, the way that you would like to see it and wave magic wand, what would that look like? (laughs) <laughs> I'm very idealistic yeah. um, and my biggest thing is that I just want to see fresh food I don't want to mm. see any more packaged food mm. so if I could wave a magic wand um, life would be in the fields um, or a garden um, the markets would be available like the Solomon Islands. You go to Solomon Islands and it's markets every day and it's just mm. lots of food, you know, mm. fresh fish and greens and coconuts and coconut water and, oh, my gosh, I love it. Um, is that possible? Is the world able to do that with 8 million people, especially if you live in New York, where you're going to get your food from? Mm. Probably not. Um, so um, I think it's about time we just at least start. If, if people listening to this if, in an ideal world for me, if they listen to it and they change, that would be great. That would be really good. Yeah, yeah. definitely. And to make those small incremental changes yeah. daily. And I think, yeah. like you said, it all starts within the home. And then if you expand through that, then, you know, be the activist and be the powerhouse throughout your community, which you do as well so wonderfully. So thank you so much for all the work that you do do and for spreading this awareness <laughs> and, yeah, this continued education for our generations because it's so imperative. And mm. I just really would like to say to our listeners that with this message that this is a gentle, gentle, subtle kind of <laughs> nudge. <laughs> nudge, yes, to we implore you to go and, you know, start to educate yourself with, you know, the different, you know, tools that we have access to these days and to just question also what you might see as the norm just to question things and to have that curiosity into other fields and that kind of open heart, that open mind and to see what's possible. So, yeah. And to, I guess. Wise words. Yeah. It's have like curiosity. Have curiosity and question and to be educated yeah. and to come back to making your informed decisions. And when it comes to food, you know, support your local farmers, buy local buy organic where you can um, and really sort of that, you know, philosophy that we follow in clinic, which is farm to plate, Mm -hmm. cut out your processed foods and really look at your whole foods, clean foods. Yeah. Eat all the colours. And I think another one is don't be fear driven. Mm. Yeah. A lot of fear out there at the moment, you know, if I don't do that, I'm, you know, they might, I might die, you know, Mm. I just think. Yeah. Have trust in that human body of yours and, and like, it is incredible. Yeah. Can I just finish with one little story? Oh, yes, please. Human body. Yeah. So 
January 8th this year, I broke a glass and I went down and picked it up silly and got a sh- what I thought was one shattered glass in my hand. And I, but I didn't know at the time and it closed over and I had a lot of pain and every time I hit it, it hurt. So I went and had an ultrasound and yes, I had three shards of glass in my hand. Oh, and I went to the doctor, the hand surgeon, and he said, oh, we'll put you under. It might take me half an hour to find them and you'll have a big slip there and a, you know, blah, 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 blah. And I, and, or he said, oh, you can live with it. Mm. I went, oh, I'll live with it. That's fine. I don't need to have that done to me. Well, about two months ago, I get this volcano happening on my, my hand and the glass shards just spat out of the volcano. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Get that foreign object out. That's how intelligent it is. Like, it's, seriously, guys, we just have to give it time. It's not yes. meant to be based. You know, somebody said to me, oh, they'll end up in your blood vessels and then they'll end up in your heart. And I'm like going... What? <laughs> and that's the thing we forget is that the body has an intelligence. Mm. And this happens like when we're in the womb in utero, that the body that the uh, the body knows to grow an elbow to a wrist. Mm. No one's telling it to do that. That's mm. just happening with its own intelligence. And I think we really do underestimate the power of our body and yes. the healing of our body and, and what it's capable of. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And so how's your how's your thumb now? <laughs> oh, I've got to remember which one it was. It's gone. Oh, my God. Oh, love that. It's just incredible. Like, I just went, I don't even remember. I have to kind of go, hey, it was that one. I don't <laughs> even feel it anymore. That's amazing. That is amazing. Well that. done. Power to you. Yeah. <laughs> Goes to show. I, I just tell that story. I go, it's a volcano. And it <laughs> <laughs> The body was just like, no, nah, get this out. <laughs> yeah, my body didn't need it. It didn't want it. It was an mm. empty. And, and I think what, it, like, that took six months. Mm. So I think we become impatient. Yes. Like an injury, we might go, oh, I'll go to the doctor. Oh, yeah, you need knee surgery. Well, yeah. maybe you don't. Maybe, you know, sometimes I need, we need patience with our bodies. They're not, it's not like surgery. It's not going to happen straight away, but. Everything is a process, isn't it? Exactly. And everything takes time. Yeah. Yeah. We just have to allow for that time. My dad's starting to get knee issues. He's just turned 60 this year and we've tried to get him onto more of like an anti-inflammatory diet and he's having, like he's feeling so much better already. And he said that, you know, maybe down the track he will look into knee replacement surgery, but He's like, you know, I'm happy to give this a crack, this diet thing. And, he's you lost know, four do- kilos as yeah, well. Yeah, he's feeling great. So he's, you know, on track. He's and thriving. When you give, you know, the body the tools to be able to heal, it's just tapping into that, like you said, that innate wisdom and that vitalistic approach. So the body knows how to heal. The body knows well, before I made the documentary What's With Me, I um, had really bad right hip pain. So I thought I was going to have to have a hip replacement. It was so bad. Since I gave up weight, and that was eight years ago, guys, and no hip pain, no replacements needed. More flexible than I've ever been in my life. Uh, like it's it's incredible it really is I wanted to ask you just quickly from earlier as well what does your pantry look like? Oh, it's the one ingredient pantry. I have um it's very small by the way. Mm. I don't need a big pantry. 
because you know I make a thousand ingredients, a thousand recipes with a few foods. Mm, so it's, yeah. I've got lots of spices. Yeah. All my fresh, well, all, in my fridge is all my fresh stuff, yeah. but in my pantry is nuts, seeds, grains, spices, flowers that, um, like, I might want to make my own bread, so I've got flowers in there, but not usually grain flowers. Mm. That's in there. Um, oils, so mm. coconut oil, salt, uh, rapid sugar, cocoa, chocolate, can't miss them. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's about my pantry, and from that, I can make a, a thousand things. It's not yeah. Love Amazing. it. Love that. Simple, yeah. but with all the things that you need, and just yeah. coming back to nature. It's, it's funny. I went to clean out a friend of mine's pantry that came in here, heard me talk one time, and she just had her kitchen done, and she had a butler's pantry, and her pantry. Oh my gosh, it was the size of this room. <laughs> and I walked in, and it was just packaged foods everywhere. Um, and I just said to her, I went. Uh, we're gonna just have to get rid of all of that. Yes. And and then she realised that she didn't need a pantry that big. You don't need it. No, no. You don't need a big pantry. No. And it's so like my mum never had a pantry. Mm. We didn't have pantries back in the sixties. Yeah. Well, there were small cupboards. Packaged foods that you now need pantries. Yeah. Yes, it wasn't until like when we were growing up, it became the microwave age, and it was mm. the white foods, and everything was processed yes. and. Yeah, I think packaged. and packaged. Whereas I think now at least we're coming back a little halfway that we are having the the option and the choices to be able to to make fresh food and mm. to have fresh food, yeah, rather than packaged and microwaved. Mm. Yeah, yeah, just exactly. some nutrients. Well, Cindy, thank you so much for joining us again this afternoon. It's been an absolute honor and a privilege to have you on. And I'm sure our listeners would have taken away so many incredible bits of knowledge as have we. So thank you again so much. And we'll link to your um, documentary and your book as well in our show notes. Um, But can our listeners find you on Instagram, Facebook? It's all changing habits. Wonderful. Right. <laughs> right. Everything is changing habits. Instagram is changing habits farm, changing habits, and changing habits HQ. Facebook is changing habits. Um, what else is there? I, I don't Twitter a lot unless I'm really mad with someone. <laughs> <laughs> Get the tweet on, yeah. <laughs> I tweet every now and then. Um, but website is changinghabits.com.au. Amazing. And we can find your courses on there as well. Yes. Fantastic. Great. Academy you'll find there. Thank you. Great. Thanks so much, Cindy. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.